We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to complete our, our study of the 12th chapter. And again, Paul is dealing with a church that has gotten off track. They have lost sight of their purpose and their mission and their identity. And that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's reminding this church in Corinth of who they are. They are the body of Christ. See, when Jesus came to do his work here on earth, he came in flesh and blood. He came in bodily form and served, demonstrated the love of his Father, and ultimately took our sins and our shame upon himself and died on a cross, was buried rose again three days later and ascended to his father. But his work wasn't done. As we see in the book of Acts, his work continues through his new body, the church. And if you want to know what that body looks like, look around. We are the continued work of Christ in the world. And as we've talked about so much, it is so easy to get distracted from that work. So Paul's words this morning are so timely, we must be reminded of who we are so that we know what we must do. We are the living, breathing, supernatural body of Christ and dwelt with His Spirit to make His name known. The church, as we said last week, the true church, made up of born-again, transformed men and women. It's an indestructible, eternal, supernatural, living organism. It was created by God for the purposes of God, to the glory of God, and Jesus Christ is the head of it all. And as we said, Corinth, they lost sight of this. They didn't reflect this. And we gather from Paul's direction and his instruction that their services, as they gathered together, there was chaos. There was confusion. People would speak out of turn. They wanted their voices to be heard. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to carve out a place of importance. Church gatherings became self-centered. And we see in 1 Corinthians 14.33, Paul says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And he later says in chapter 14, let all things be done decently and in order. And the Apostle James, he tells us in 3.16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. And that is a good description for what was going on in the church in Corinth. It was about me and mine, making my name known, getting my needs met. And in a hyper-individualistic society like we live in today, it is so easy for that uh, me and mine attitude to creep into the church. 
I'm here to get what I want. I'm here to get what I need. And that is so contrary to the purpose of our gatherings. We are here to build one another up and give glory to God. Paul warned the church in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. What we need is love because love is what builds up. Now, the first time spiritual gifts are mentioned is in Romans chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. And here, Paul gives us some really valuable insight for the purposes of our individual gifts. He says in Romans 1:11, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. It sounds like Paul is giving them their spiritual gifts, but we know that comes from the Holy Spirit. Really what Paul desires to do is come and utilize his spiritual gifts for their benefit. Why? So that they may be established, set fast, strengthened, literally means set firmly in a specific direction. One thing we know for sure, spiritual gifts are not for us. And I know you've heard that many times before, but again, we have to be reminded it is to strengthen one another and to build one another up. And what what do we mean by that? We can say that until we're blue in the face. Yeah, we're supposed to build one another up through the diversity of gifts that we have been given by the Spirit. But what what does it mean to build the person next to you up? Well, Paul says in Romans 12, 1, 12, again, I want to come to you so that I may give to you a spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both you and me. So what does it mean to build one another up? It means to use our gifts in such a way that the person next to us says, man, I trust God more today than I did yesterday. I believe his word more today than I did yesterday. And it's not just the person who the gift is is being uh, offered to. It's the person who's using their gift. Paul says that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. There's something wonderful going on as we walk in our gifts and use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us with one another. So that's what we've been looking at. We've really been looking at, okay, we're filled with the Spirit of God. What's the Spirit doing? When we gather together, what should that look like? When we come together as God's family here at Calvary Central, what should we be doing? What is the Spirit of God doing today? And that's what Paul, again, it's not a comprehensive list of all the gifts but he's giving us a picture of what should be going on in our gathering. We all have different gifts, different roles, different ways in which we use these gifts, but it's all for the same purpose, to make Jesus Christ known and to build our faith. Paul says in Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let's use them. 
If it's prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. If it's ministry, use it for ministering. If it's teaching, then teach. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul is saying, use your gifts. Christianity is not a spectator sport, despite what we have made it to be. It's not coming together, watching one man exercise his gift, while we all just watch and go home and eat a burger. It's about all of us. And we're going to see today that not one gift is more important than another. In fact, the ones that you don't see on a Sunday morning, the gifts that are exercised that you don't see on stage, they are the most important gifts. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God or the teachings of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Guys, the church doesn't need talented men and women. The church needs humble men and women who are looking to build up the faith of each other. So let's continue. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. We've covered some of these gifts already, but just for the flow of it, let's start in chapter 7. But the manifestation, what does manifestation mean? We talked about this last week. The manifestation of the Spirit, that's the Spirit making known, bringing to light. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each one of you is responsible for making the Spirit known. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Now again, that word the doesn't exist in the original Greek. It's to one is given word of wisdom. To another, word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. So that's where we left off. If you didn't catch the other gifts, you can uh, grab last week's teaching. It's up on the website. But we stopped at gifts of healings. One commentator writes, there is no article with gifts of healing. Meaning that, again, the word the does not appear before gifts of healings. And this fastens attention on the quality of the gift rather than the individuality of the gift. Does that make sense? Think about this for a moment. When we say the word of knowledge versus word of knowledge, what's, why is that distinction important? Or gifts of healing versus the gift of healing. When we say the gift of healing, it has this individuality to it. Oh, I got to seek out the gift of healing versus 
gift of healing, which is just something that we all can operate in as God is leading. It's not about something that we can elevate uh, above ourselves and, and make ourselves something more than we are, but isn't that how the gift of healing is used today? When you look around and you see these tent ministries where there's this man who just happens to be making a great deal of money off the backs of those who are desperate, and he has what? The gift of healing. Does he have a different spirit than you or I? Well, maybe. But it's not the Holy Spirit. It is the gifts of healing distributed as the Spirit wills. And why do I bring that up? Because, guys, I really believe, and we can argue and not argue, we can have a cordial discussion about this later if you want. I think it's more important that we are found faithful than it is to discover what your spiritual gift is. We've all done the tests, right? What's your spiritual gift? And they're kind of like a personality test. And again, I, I don't have anything against those. But I think what's way more important is that we're just faithful. That we say, yes, God, whatever you want to do, I'm yours. I, I want to be obedient to you. I don't want to wrestle with you. Your ways are perfect. They're so much higher than my own. And Lord, if you want to heal, you can do it. It's interesting that everything Paul has mentioned here, every gift that he has mentioned has been and will continue to be misused for selfish gain. Have you noticed that? You've probably experienced it in your own life. It's interesting how the enemy is so active in taking God's good gifts that he's given to us through the Spirit for the betterment of one another and twisted them to be uh, things of pride and arrogance. The issue here is not necessarily, okay, which spiritual gift do I have? Is it the gift of healing or is it the word of knowledge? No, it's about just being surrendered. Spirit, do whatever you want to do. I do want to say this, though. When we look at the gift of healing operating in the life of Jesus, and we see it later operating in the life of the apostles, does it look like anything that we see today in some of these tent ministries? I would say it's radically different. Because when Jesus healed and the apostles healed, their healings were direct and specific, weren't they? They were direct. There was no question who the healing was for. Oh, there's somebody in here that has a bad back and you're healed. That's not very direct, is it? It's very general. It's like a fortune cookie. You open it up. It's general enough that, yeah, it could apply to anybody. In the next 3,000 days, you're going to have a blessing. Okay, thanks. But when we see healing in Scripture, it's very direct. The man comes down through the ceiling. And Jesus is there. His friends want to get to his feet, but they can't because the crowds have pressed in so tightly. So they go up on a roof and they lower the man down through the ceiling. And Jesus, knowing the hearts of the Pharisees, said, What is better, that I say that this man's sins are forgiven or that I heal him? But he heals him. And it's very direct and it's very obvious. As Paul walks by the city gates, 
and he, a beggar begs for money. And Paul, is it Peter or Paul? Peter? That was a test. You passed. <laughs> Peter walks by, and the beggar says, give me some money. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have for you, but what I do have for you, I give for you, to you freely. That was pretty direct. He tells the man to get up and walk, and he walks. So it's direct, it's specific, it's by a word or by a touch, and there's an immediate healing that takes place. And there's no apparent relapse, is there? There's no regression. Paul doesn't, or Peter doesn't say, get up and walk, and then a week later the guy's like, oh, I'm back to square one again. It's a little different than what we see today. Now, I am not saying that we should not pray for the sick among us and believe in faith that God can heal. And if you are a believer, let me tell you this, and you've heard me say it before, this is a prayer that God will always answer. God always heals. You might think, oh, if you're new here, maybe this is a bit of that prosperity gospel. God always heals. It may be in the moment, it may be in this life, but it will certainly be in the next. See, these healings that we see and that so much of is made of in the charismatic movement today, these healings are only temporary. There is no death certificate that says died of old age. Dr. Steve, is that right? Or am I making that up? There's no, there's no death certificate that says, died of old age. Eventually, people die. Their bodies break down. So when does that gift of healing stop? When does someone have so much faith that they live forever because they never get sick? Because there's a teaching within the charismatic movement that all sickness is from sin and that God desires to heal everyone. And what does it hinge on? Faith. If you just have enough faith. But what do you say to grandma who's 102 years old and has lived a good life? And she's ready to go see Jesus. We all, last time I checked, are going to die. <laughs> Because our bodies are going to break down. And I say all of that just because we live in a day and age where, where this is one of those gifts that is elevated. But it's manipulative often. And men are making a great deal of money off the backs of those who are desperate. So guys, if you're sick this morning, let us pray for you. Can God heal you? Absolutely. Will God heal you? Yes. Today, tomorrow, but definitely in eternity. And I'm not putting a disclaimer on who God is and what he can do. God does as he pleases. Paul prayed to God to remove that thorn in his flesh. Many times he prayed. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. 
So I want to encourage you, if you've been prayed for, if you have a chronic illness, a chronic pain, and, and you're like, God, why aren't you healing me? Is it because I lack uh, faith? God, am I doing something wrong? Is it sin? What is it? God loves you. And we will pray, and we'll pray for your healing. But don't let it be a source of contention between you and God. God does as he pleases and he's a good God and he will use everything for good, for his glory, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Does God still heal today? Yes. And we'll continue to pray for the sick. And then Paul, in verse 10, says to another, the working of miracles. And he seems to break this out. When we think of miracles, don't, don't our minds often go to healings, healing miracles? But Paul breaks it out and he separates it. And he says to another, the working of miracles. That literally translates to mighty deeds, works of power, moments where we know this had to be God. This was not a man-made moment. We didn't accomplish this. It was all God. Again, I wanted to look back. Since Jesus operated in the Spirit, and He exercised these gifts in the Spirit, what did this look like in Jesus' life and the life of the apostles? Well, Jesus stilled a, a storm with His very word. He fed 5,000 with some loaves and a couple fish. He turned water into wine. Things that just don't make sense in the natural world, he accomplished. And then he prophesied that the early apostles would drive out demons, that they would pick up poisonous snakes and not be harmed, that they would drink deadly poison and it would not hurt them at all. And then in the book of Acts, the apostles saw prison gates swing open. They saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead before them because of their dishonesty. Philip was transported from a desert to a faraway place in a moment. Paul was bitten by a viper and he had no ill effects to the surprise of the locals. Herod died suddenly and violently. Demons were cast out of a slave girl. The question I know on everyone's mind, though, because it's on mine, does that stuff still happen today? Can that stuff still happen today? Is the spirit still in the business of doing the supernatural in this age of iPhone cameras? And if so, why aren't we seeing it? Let me remind you, God can and do, can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, through whoever he wants. Of course he can still do these things today. But it's up to him. What's our responsibility? I'll say it again, that we may be counted faithful. But I also want to remind you that Peter and John were arrested and beaten. Stephen was stoned to death. 
James was executed. Paul was arrested, beaten, and stoned, and shipwrecked. The Christian life is not one of supernatural ease where God is miraculously delivering us out of every difficult situation. That's not what miracles are for. Our responsibility is to be faithful, to trust, to listen, to respond, to be available, and then God does what he wants to do. We can't be miracle junkies, because that's awesome. That's often what happens. God does something amazing that we can't explain through human terms, and we're only as good as that last miracle that he did. A couple weeks, months, years go by, and you're like, God, are you still there? Where's the miraculous? Healings, miracles. Now to another, he gives what? Prophecy. What's prophecy? I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this because again, like so many of these, it's misused today. When you think of prophecy, what do you think of? I know we're in church, but yell it out. What do you think of? Telling the future, right? Literally translated, (coughs) prophecy is inspired words. We tie it to future telling, right? Oftentimes we do. Now, if you um, have done a deep dive on the word prophecy, you know that it is so much more than that. It is connecting What God has said to what he is doing. It's inspired speech. There are six lists containing 22 different spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You'll find six different rundowns of spiritual gifts. None of them are the same. There's 22 in total, but there's only one gift that is mentioned in all six lists. What gift is that? The gift of prophecy. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And again, it's often thought that, Paul's reserving, that Paul is referring to receiving and relaying an immediate revelation from God, but it's often disconnected from Scripture. It often includes directions for or information about the future, that this public figure is this person in Scripture, or this policy is what we see in Revelation. It's connecting dots that, that we don't see plainly spelled out in Scripture. And there's a whole movement. People love hearing about this stuff because we love being in the know. We love knowing something that maybe the person next to us doesn't. So again, this is misused, and it becomes a source of pride. And men and women go go around, and they are self-proclaimed prophets. And they use terms like, thus saith the Lord. Trump will win (laughs) in 2020. There are many self-proclaimed prophets making that proclamation. You know what the Bible says in the Old Testament? If a prophet prophet gets a prophecy wrong, 
what you're supposed to do with that profit. I'm not advocating for that today. I'm just saying God cares about his word. But let's, let's, as a body of believers, let's have a right understanding of what this means because we're all supposed to desire this gift. Alan Redpath points out prophecy in Scripture is more often foretelling the present than foretelling the future. It's more foretelling the present than foretelling the future, meaning it's God's present word for God's present people. Alistair Begg points out, all of the word that is necessary for all time and for all his people is contained right here in this book. And in the same way that the Old Testament prophets proclaimed the law and recalled the people of God to face the claim of God upon their lives and then and to call them to obedience, so the New Testament prophets preached the gospel. They preached the life of faith, they called for conversion, and they called for edification and for encouragement. It is knowing and sharing the heart of God with somebody else. And if you say, well, I want to know the future, I know the future. I'll tell you the future. If that's what you're hungry for, God has revealed the future to me, and I'm going to tell it to you right now. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back for his church, and he's coming back to judge unrighteousness. And that's not a thus saith the Lord through Dan. That's God has said it through his word. And my fear is when we disconnect from this and we start going out in extra-biblical fashion to start making claims about things that we just don't see in God's Word. And really, they're just emotional guesses. Think about how the Christian witness is tarnished every time a Christian leader rises up and makes a claim that isn't fulfilled. The enemy loves that stuff. He feeds on it. Men and women of God should be about the business of the truth of God's Word. And we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But the reality is prophecy is sharing God's word in God's time. And it's not just here from the pulpit. It's in relationships. It's as you guys gather for lunch and dinner together, as we hang out together. Sometimes we're going through something very difficult. And I'm not talking about just blasting someone with scripture, but sometimes we're just simply reminded of a promise of God from his word, and we're able to share God's word in God's time in that moment, and that brother or sister is built up. That's exercising the gift of prophecy. It's not future-telling, necessarily it's forthtelling for God's present people so how did Jesus prophesy well we see it as he stands up and reads from the prophet Isaiah he says the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's prophecy. Telling people about Jesus and their desperate need for him. And that God loves them and has made a way for them to, to be right with him despite their sin, despite the shame, despite all the guilt that they're carrying. Jesus died for them. That is prophecy. And don't think that that's a lower form of prophecy to knowing the future. It's not. Let us be men and women that desire to share the mind and heart with others in his time, in his place. We do know the future. Don't get so hung up on connecting the dots. We know how the story ends. Jesus is coming back. Do we look at the, the signs of the seasons? Of course. Do we, get it, do we start um, hopefully developing an urgency when we see the way our nation is headed? Absolutely. We don't stick our head in the ground and ignore what's going on around us, but we're not consumed by it because we know how the story ends. And our job is to be busy about the business of our Father. That's what we've been gifted for. We haven't been gifted to, to spread worry and anxiety and, and uh, uh, all the other things that paralyze us from the work that God has placed in front of us. But we reassure one another, hey, God's doing something. God desires to do something through us. And I truly think that Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he's exercising the gift of prophecy. Just like the Old Testament prophets called the people back to a right relationship with God and said, hey, you've turned your back on God. You're worshiping idols. You're worshiping lesser gods. You're worshiping things carved out by human hands. And, and when you actually need God, you'll turn to these powerless idols and they'll let you down. Return to him now. And what do prophets do in the New Testament? Guys, we need to turn back to God. We need to find ourselves in his presence. It's, the office hasn't changed. It's, I mean, it's not an office. It's just what we should be doing as born-again believers. Paul says, all of you, we'll see this later on in chapter 14, all of you should desire to prophesy. I wish that all of you would prophesy. We should be a mouthpiece for God. And nothing we should say should be contrary to this. All right. Finally, to another, discerning of spirits. What in the world is that? Well, I, I see a, a glow about you. Your aura. No. Okay, let's, let's look again to the New Testament. Let's see Jesus exercising this gift, and let's see Peter exercising this gift, or actually the other way around. Let's start with Peter. Matthew 16, verse 13. Answer 
Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do they discern that I am? So they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Wrong. Some say Elijah. Wrong again. I'm adding that. That's not in here. You know that, right? Okay. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So who do the people discern who did the people discern that Jesus was? A prophet, a teacher, John the Baptist, and they were wrong. But then Jesus turns to his disciples and said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. That's discerning spirits. Peter was able to see Jesus for who he was and know that later on when all of the uh, actually, earlier, when Jesus was teaching about, hey, you need to uh, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, or you have no part in me, and all the crowds were like, wait, what? This is too hard. And they went away, and only the disciples remained, and Jesus said, are you going to leave too? What did Peter say? Where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. That's discerning spirits. But here's what is discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Look at Matthew 16, 21, just a few verses later. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. This is Jesus exercising the discerning of spirits. Is he calling Peter Satan? Is he saying, Peter, you're Satan incarnate? No, he knows whose voice is coming out of, out of Peter's mouth. He is discerning that this false message, oh, you don't have to die. Yes, I do, and I will, and I will be resurrected by the Spirit three days later. So what is this? I, I say it's encouraging because it's Peter. One minute Peter's like, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, my father revealed that to you. And then a few seconds later, oh, you don't have to die. And he's missing what God is doing. And Jesus says, no, that's the voice of Satan. So discerning spirits, that's being able to say, okay, that message, that's off. That's wrong. That's not from God. 1 John 4, 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, 
whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Some of you are uniquely gifted in this area. Where you can be listening to a teaching that sounds really good, but then you hear something and you're like, that's just off. Or maybe it's just a personality where the person's saying all the right things, but you just get a check in your spirit. And you're like, I'm going to put that on the back burner because something is off here. The church needs that. Because again, many false prophets have gone out into the world. The enemy wants to distort the truth of God's word. He wants to get into churches. He wants to stir up false theologies, vain philosophies. He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to be carried away by every wind and doctrine that is not true and right. And so we need those with this gift, or we need this gift in general to say, no, we know what this says. That doesn't belong here. Take that down the road. What's down the road? I don't know. The dumpster. Take that down to the dumpster, put it in there, and leave it. That's discernment. And I, I want to say this, and I know we're, we're spending a little too much time on each of these, um, but with all the voices in the world today, with all the podcasts and the YouTube videos and all the different talking heads, guys, we desperately need this. Be careful who you listen to. And if the Lord through His Spirit is saying, turn this off, just do it. It doesn't matter how interesting it is. Be careful who you listen to. Ananias and Sapphira came before the early church and said, we have sold our property, all of it, and we want to give it to you. And they both dropped dead. The slave girl followed Paul around shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High God. She was speaking the truth, but finally Paul turned around and said, no more. It wasn't the message, it was the motive behind the message. That's discerning of spirits. Okay, to another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. I'm going to leave that for Pastor John. He's going to cover that in a couple weeks. Now, let, let, let me just say this. Paul is going to get into this a little later. But again, are tongues uniquely misused in the church today? Absolutely. Some teach that it is the mandatory expression of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's the, the required expression of receiving the Holy Spirit. That is not true. Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles? What's the rhetorical answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak in tongues? No. So to say that it's a requirement of receiving the Holy Spirit, guys, it's just false teaching, and it creates a group of haves and have-nots, and it's wrong. Now, Paul says, I, I want you to speak in tongues, but notice he puts it as last on his list. 
And it's so ironic that we would take a gift and use it to, again, elevate others and put others down. And again, that is the exact opposite of what Paul's talking about here. If you speak in tongues, amazing. But there's an order to it, as Pastor John will cover when we get to that section. All right, verse 11. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So that's been the heart of this, right? It's God's work through his Spirit. What are we? We're his. Present your lives as living sacrifices. Be, be willing. This is what the Spirit's doing. He's giving words of encouragement. He's giving words of knowledge. He's healing. He's sharing the heart and mind of God. He's serving. He's comforting. And he's using you and I as Christ's body to do that. And we are a body, aren't we? That's what Paul is going to go on to say. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. If we're one body, wouldn't that stand to reason that we are meant to be together? How many of you left your right hand at home today? Ridiculous question. Why? Because it's part of your body. We were designed to be together, to operate together, to work together. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Guys, if you are born again, the spirit of God lives in you, and you are a gifted individual by him. And you play an important role in our fellowship. Paul says in verse 14, in fact, the body is not one member, it's many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Guys, if you're sitting here today thinking, the church doesn't need me, you're wrong. If you think, well, I can't teach I'm terrified of getting in front of people. I don't play an instrument. Guys, Paul's going to say it. The behind-the-scenes work of any body of believers is the most valuable and the most important. Our presentable parts? It takes a lot more than one man to get up and open God's word. It's vitally important. I'm not, I don't want to minimize the importance of teaching God's word. But you know what's more important? What I do behind the scenes. What you do behind the scenes. Who cares if I'm gifted in the area of public speaking. If my character doesn't match it behind the scenes. If my prayer life doesn't match it behind the scenes. If my time with Christ doesn't match it behind the scenes. There are many men and women whose character just doesn't match up with their charisma. They're very, I want to say gifted, but it's not a gift. They're talented. But who cares how talented someone is if God doesn't have their heart? So if you sit here today thinking, I'm not an eye, I'm not an ear, and I'm not part of the body, if you feel like you can't be used here, 
then we've, we've missed out on something as your family. It's either something that's wrong in your thinking or something wrong that we've done. Either way, let's get it right. You are needed. Verse 16. If the heir should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body. How? Just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. What part of your body did you spend this morning thinking about? What a weird question to be asked on a Sunday morning, huh? Most of us, it was this. Man, how do I put this in order so I don't scare the kids? How do I comb and pluck and cover up and we think about our presentable parts there's a a term that people use in the gym it's your aesthetic muscles the biceps the triceps the pectorals you focus on the things that people can see but let me ask you this what part's more important, your ear or your heart? How often do you think about your heart? What's more important, your arm or your liver? Silly questions, right? But hey, Paul's using the analogy, so let's roll with it, right? We don't think about our most important parts very much, do we? Unless there's a problem with them, unless we have an issue with our kidneys, then we think about them a lot. But going throughout the day, we don't think about our unpresentable parts that are hidden, but God has protected our heart behind a rib cage, right? So here's what I'm saying. Those of you that do... Uh, that are involved in areas behind the scenes and you don't get credit, you don't get patted on the back, people don't see you, people don't appreciate you, you are so vital. And I would even go to say even, and I know Paul's not elevating gifts, but what happens here could not happen without you. And I'm not just being facetious, this is what Paul is teaching. Those of you that pray for the body of believers, behind the scenes, and nobody knows that you pray. Those of you that slip checks to people that you know are suffering, and they're, well, it can't be anonymous if it's a check, cash, that you slide and say, hey, can you give this to so-and-so? Don't tell them who it's from. It's the behind-the-scenes work. Verse 24, but our presentable parts have no need. The worship leaders, those of us who are on stage, 
the reality is, let's be honest, we get far, far more pats on the back than the children's ministry teachers ever do. And their work is so, so vital. I get more pats on the back than Regis gets, and he's... much more faithful than me. And he loves his church family. And even saying this is embarrassing to him because that's not his heart. But that's what Paul's saying. We are gifted, and it's not about recognition, it's about being faithful. Look at verse 24. Our presentable parts, we don't have need for the accolades. But God composed the body, having given greater honor, honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and your members individually and God has appointed these in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, but not all are apostles, right? Not all prophets. Are all teachers, do all work, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret tongues, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Wait, Paul, I thought you said that there wasn't things that were more important than others. And he says, I'll show you the most important thing. And then he leads us into chapter 13. And what is the most important thing? Love. And we'll leave that for next week. Let's pray. God, we want to be who you've created us to be. We want to be who you say we are. You tell us we are the body of Christ. You tell us that you've given us your spirit to live within us. And that your spirit desires to make the name of Jesus known. And that through your spirit you've given us and will give us gifts as needed to make that happen. So Lord, I have my prayer more than anything is just that we would be faithful men and women. For those that are sit, have found themselves sitting on the sideline, I pray that we would work together to see where God is calling them to be used. We want to be busy, but not busy for the sake of busyness, but because there's an urgency. Time is running out. There's no time be found wandering and distracted by things that just have very little value in this life. So Lord, my prayer for me first and those uh, in this family, Lord, that we would return to the things of value, of eternal value. That we would lay aside bitterness and 
envy and self-seeking because we know that just brings about confusion. But we would be men and women that seek you and make ourselves available. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you that we can watch and walk in supernatural uh, ways and do supernatural things. Um, and, and we know it's supernatural to love our enemies. We know it's supernatural to put our needs of others above our own. We know it's supernatural to share your heart with others and not get in the way. We know that it is by your spirit that we're able to love others the way that you love us. So thank you for the many gifts that you give us on a daily basis that we don't even notice. God, God we want to be grateful, sons and daughters. Help us to have hearts of thanksgiving, not of complaining. Lord, we want to see you work. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.